Hello, I am Lucas, and that is Jeff. And you're listening to Make Your Own Damn Podcast. What's going on, Jeff? Oh, man, I am, like, super fucking psyched for today. We are going to be visiting, no joke, one of my absolute favorite movies. That This is a movie that I regularly revisit. And we'll be getting into it in this episode. This movie actually... Um, like I was inspired for one of the own, one of my own books I wrote directly by this movie. I did and, not know that. Yeah, I figured you didn't. And yeah. today we are talking about the masterpiece of American cinema, which is 2011's Detention, directed by Joseph Kahn. And when I'm saying masterpiece of cinema, I am not being remotely sarcastic. If you look at the um, Ron Tomatoes score of this and you might think I'm being sarcastic. Did you see the score that this has? I, I did, but I, you know, like most of my favorite movies are like in that range. I, I love this. It has a 43% of reviews, 46% of 46% audience score with over 10,000 audience score ratings. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So people really don't like this movie and I am baffled because this is legitimately no joke one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. This might be in my top 10 of very favorite movies with like Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, so, Green Room. Like this might be up that high for me. I I want to posit a theory and it might be a little early for that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I kind of feel like it might have been ahead of its time and that was why. Oh, I'm not sure if it was ahead well. of its time. We're going to have an interesting conversation about that, this then later. But um, I feel like we first really need to get into what this movie is. Because ironically, this might be the movie that our listeners are most likely to have not seen of amongst a lot of our yeah, other that's titles. True. Because this yeah. is not a trauma movie. Uh, we kind of didn't mention that yet, but this is our free week. This is our week that we pick a movie that's of relevant interest to independent exploitation, low-budget things. Yes, yeah. weirdos. And it's kind of just turned into us being like, here's weird fucking shit you should be paying attention to. Yes. Which, Detention is one of those movies. I can't but, believe um, it's over a decade old. And it's... Uh, I can't I can re-watching it. <laughs> Oh yeah, and it's, it's yeah. Just because it's very pop culture based, and you can tell very much the error it was made. In oh the right, pop right, right, right. Yeah. But here, let me read the uh, back cover description from the uh, Blu-ray, which I happen to own. I told you it's one of my very favorite movies. So, um, John Hutcherson, Dane Cook, and Spencer Locke star in Detention a hipster teen horror comedy where the local students of Grizzly Lake must survive their final year of high school. Standing in their way is Cinderella, a slasher movie killer who has seemingly come to life and is preying on the school's student body. As the, clock's tick, as the clock ticks and the bodies pile up, the likely suspects are embroiled in a race against time to stop Cinderella and ultimately save the world. If only they can get out of detention. Wow, that is an awful description for what this movie is. Yeah, because uh, the, there's just so many different layers to this movie than like. None of that is necessarily wrong, but it's right. like, yes, but 
that's missing like the other 90% of what this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I'm going to, I wanted to start off this show right here on top coming in hot in the beginning. I truly argue detention is the ultimate and best bizarro movie ever made. That for, I was part of like, for those listening that may not be aware of this, like I was part of Eraserhead Press, talking about bizarro fiction, Carlton Melick III, Eraserhead Press, that whole type of scene, and the genre mashups of that, that scene. And I come out of it, like I wrote, um, I mean, a book that's kind of really uh, tapping into a lot, a lot of the same cultural stuff that Detention was tapping into. I wrote Shatner Quake. And right. I feel that the movie Detention is the best movie I've seen depict on screen what we were doing at Eraserhead Press and what Bizarro was doing at its so, absolute height. So for the uninitiated, like you might want to like give so a little bit as far as like what Bizarro so, is. Like I know, I know you and I know it. I know like anybody who's like you know a writer in our scene knows knows it but i like do the general like uh, you know like there's the, probably a lot of people, people. Listening that have no idea what i'm talking yeah. about so yeah. bizarro was um well not, not was is is kind of like a subgenre writing movement that is um as we frequently used to pitch it to people it was the uh literary equivalent of the cult section of your video store but video stores no longer exist so then we started saying it's the um literary equivalent of the cult section of uh netflix netflix got rid of the cult section to the best of my knowledge so now i guess it has to be like it's the literary equivalent of the types of movies that we talk about on this podcast on make your own damn podcast yes it's it's the it's it's the weird but not like art not just pure art house weird not being weird in the sake of um presentation but being weird in the sake of story and Essentially, a lot of the works really come down to it was a mashup, uh, mashup of different genres. There are many ways that I would personally argue that what we, what we, the groups I was involved in, the presses that I was involved in, calling Bizarro, it was actually a return to the old genre literary style where horror, science fiction, fantasy weren't different yeah. things that they I, were all the same thing and then we were updating it throwing in romance throwing in comedy throwing in um uh sat um, political satire and it was a mishmash and there was literary every, stuff too like i mean oh, there like, very it, much like, was yeah like i mean i would i would even go so far as to call it like i, I don't know like bizarre was more like the anti-genre in a way like because it wasn't like one genre it was it, it, it was a lot of like punk where it was kind of stripping thing stripping everything back to the core a bunch of people who didn't come from any classically trained background and having fun and making art that appealed to them and was unlike what anybody else in the in our case in the literary world was doing and it's kind of like amazing now, like seeing how popular like authors like Chuck Tingle, for example, have become and um, Stephen Graham Jones. Yes. And like, fuck, I worked at the company that published Stephen Graham Jones long before he was the name. He oh, is yeah. Now. And oh, yeah. like, I remember Chuck Tingle's first couple of books coming out and being like, huh, this guy's kind of uh, kind of stealing our, our stick. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. We thought it was cool. Like, like oh, totally. it, it, there's no way that Chuck Tingle, whoever he is, is not aware of like Eraserhead Press and all the work that we did. Not a chance in hell he's not aware. Right, right. And so like we like it was this really kind of like outsider literary art with a high focus on telling fun and exciting stories. And like, you know, I, I talked down about the literary side of things, but whenever like people are like, oh, there's a lot of literary works, there's a lot of literary talent in the authors and that, I'm like, yeah, but what I mean by that is when people hear literary, they think boring. And I'm saying like, our books weren't fucking boring. Like right. we have books titled like The Baby Jesus Butt Plug, Shatner Quake, which is one of my own that I mentioned, um, Ask, Goblins, Ask Goblins of Auschwitz. I think my favorite Jonah- as far as titles go <laughs> is... Uh- is uh help a bear is eating me oh help a bear is eating me it's such a good book too (laughs) oh my god yes that is a great one um so like really and and the thing is our titles is 100 percent what the books were it wasn't like some fucking metaphor with ash goblins of ashowitz you got ash goblins in ashowitz which also took place in outer space that's right that's right so so what we were doing as part of uh, the, that late 2000s, um, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, late 2000s, early uh, 20 teens, when kind of like Bizarro was at his absolute height and the Eraserhead Press was at his absolute height, I argued that the movie version that was best of what we were trying to do as a company is detention. The detention very much represented. In, in movie form, what we were trying to do in publishing. And for the record, all the other people at Eraserhead Press, fucking, we all saw this movie when it came out and we loved it. We all fell in love with it and loved it. And like, nobody talks about this movie at all. <laughs> yeah, but no, it definitely has that energy. Like, it's it's really not beholden to genre. Like, all the horror sites talked about it when it first came out, but it, it's hard to call it. I'm- it's not a horror movie. A horror movie. Um, it, has, it has horror aspects, but it's so totally not a horror movie. Yeah. I'm reminded of um, uh, Takashi Miike. Uh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but from interviews, um, I'm paraphrasing, but in interviews he's talked about that he's never considered himself a horror director, but he's embraced by horror audiences because they're the only audiences that will give him a chance. The horror right. audiences will watch weird shit that doesn't fall under any other genre and it kind of gets just accepted by horror and for the record like in the literary world the science fiction and fantasy people fucking hated us at eraser head it was the horror people that liked us it was the horror genre that's like oh you people are cool (laughs) well because horror i mean horror the horror people were used to be in the redheaded stepchildren exactly exactly fiction so you know oh and we get somebody coming in down that's willing to be even more of an outcast and weirder all right separate out yeah. now 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 we can say hey at least we're not i'm a horror writer at least i'm not a bizarro writer <laughs> yes but i love detention it's um man so uh we haven't really talked about like like we said that description is not it, it doesn't sum up what this movie is and as we've already kind but of met, how do you sum up what this movie is? I mean, there's this so movie much had going to be a fucking nightmare to marketing because this movie is a teen drama comedy 
horror, sci-fi, kind of surreal, mindfuck, satire, meta commentary on everything. It's it's kind of like with a with an alien time traveling bear. Yeah, like I don't know, like it kind of felt like. The way it starts out, like it, it almost it, it. I get like I guess I see why they wrote that on the on the back cover of the Blu-ray because like I guess the way it starts out does kind of feel that way. Like it's like okay, this is like it this presents is like, it that it's going to be like a hip take on a a really hip self-aware take on a teen slasher for about the first right, ten fifteen minutes, and then it turns into. Like it's a like, John Hughes movie turned up to 11 and then time travel starts falling into place. And then we start getting the little vignette mini movies throughout it. Yeah. Oh, dude. It's like, I don't know. Like it's you, it, imagine. I mean, I guess if you can imagine like Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven deciding they wanted to like reboot their screen movies, but like then went on an Adderall bender. And like collaborated with Carlton Malik the Third. Okay, it's like what? there's not nearly enough LSD in this equation. You entered Carlton Malik the Third. Good, good. Like, yes, like, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, it is crazy. Like, it's, I don't know. It's hard to keep track of. I've got to say, and I and I get and I get. I could see that's why maybe people didn't like it, but I don't know. So it is very difficult to keep track of, and I have seen this movie multiple times, and I will be 100% honest that I cannot explain exactly what's going on at every second in the movie because there was literally so many different plot lines happening at the same time. Yeah. Plot lines being introduced and purposefully abandoned willy-nilly all over the place and um oh and by the way the movie is still only 90 minutes like so it's it's not like yeah so he still only had like 90 minutes to do all this stuff he being joseph khan and and uh the uh, i need to talk about this later that it has just as the movie is presented in some of the most clever ways I've ever seen a movie presented, the movie commentary track is one of the most interesting movie commentary tracks I've ever seen. And oh, cool. we talk about that. But they do acknowledge that there are some things that do explicitly not make sense in the movie. And they were hoping that the audience would just not think about it too much because so much shit is going on at once. Yeah. The one thing specifically is the mother and daughter, the trade places and times don't make sense if you think about it too much. Yeah. 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 So there's like a, um, and that's like the thing people like I, to, to kind of elaborate on that. It's Freaky Friday, but like with time travel uh, is what happens with the, and, the and, this and, is just a, and this is a B plot. Yes. This is this like, is yeah, it's one of the subplots. Plot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, the main plot, I guess, is um, uh, this kind of loser chick and kind of like this loser guy kind of finding each other. It's it's a it's a teen romance at its very core. It and is. the movie doesn't shy away from that at all. But meanwhile, we also have at the school that this is taking place in, a serial killer is on the loose. And the serial killer may or may not be influenced by a popular horror movie of which a new sequel is coming out. Nice. Uh, 
And meanwhile, for some reason, the school has a lot of things happening to it that has its people connected to the school essentially keep getting unstuck in time. Because there's a lot of time travel for one high school going on. And characters are moving through different time periods and realities to impact things happening at other time periods in realities. And when you start watching the movie, this stuff is already going on. You just don't know it yet. Right. You don't know some of the characters are already time travelers. Yeah. Um, But all that said, there are these really like, um, uh, there are some really great. Yeah, like there's some great like human moments too. Like I mean, oh. like the, the scene where she oh, gets. I have, a, uh, I have a big thing about that as we when we get towards the end of the when we talk about the end of the movie. I have a yeah. big thing about the human moments in this movie and what the director has talked about. Yeah, so like there's a scene where the protagonist she gives this like <laughs> speech about veganism, but it's just not like it's she's not a good public speaker and like anybody who's ever like been in an environment where you can tell somebody cares about a thing but they they just don't know how to talk like i don't know like it i don't know it just felt very real to me you know when she when she's in the debate club thing yeah. and she's trying to give the um impassioned speech about cuz she's she's a um she's a uh, she's she's vegan correct correct yes yeah so she's not just vegetarian she's vegan yeah Yes. I believe so. Yeah, I, I believe I believe so as well. She's vegan and she's also like um, the whole movie. She's wearing a shirt, a homemade T-shirt oh, yeah. that she wrote on it. This is what a feminist looks like. And, you know, like like she's the like, like high written school. on it in Sharpie. Yes. Yeah. But no, I love that because it's like, man, I was kind of like I, I wasn't a teenage girl. I was a teenage boy. But I was like, I, I wasn't vegan, but I was kind of like that same way as well. Like finding my political identity, starting yeah. to wear it, trying to talk about it, but not really being our articulate it fully yet and then you get the response to something like this like from from her rant like her trying to articulate she gets the response of yes i'd I'd like to start off by saying that this girl's argument is ridiculous vegetarians who eat fish are hypocrites she thinks because fish may feel no pain they don't value their lives absurd and notice how she expresses almost no sympathy for chickens that's because americans hate Chickens. For example, KFC serves popcorn chicken to assure the customers that the chicken was blown to bits. Yet the meatball stuff at Subway isn't called popcorn cow. America wants chickens to die. Lame. Personally, I do feel sympathy, sympathy for animals, which is why I choose to only eat baby animals. They have not lived as long, isn't they are not leaving as much behind. Baby clams, chicken wings, baby seals, no big loss. If we don't eat meat, we lose our place in the food chain. Eating animals gives us confidence as humans. I love that. I love that. Um, <laughs> that, 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 I was so happy I was able to find it all written out to be able to read at some point in this episode because I'm that rant, rant sums up the comedy in this movie, which I'm like, that writing to me is goddamn hysterical. It's like, so good. It just works on, it, I just find it so fucking funny. The whole thing of, um, personally, I do feel sympathy, sympathy for animals, which is why I choose to only eat ba- baby animals. Yes. They have not lived as long. And there's not leaving as much behind. Baby clams, chicken wings, baby seals, no big loss. Those yeah. three things together is what cracks me up in the end with chicken wings being be like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, the dialogue writing in this movie is fucking insane. Now, and it's constantly coming at you. Like, 
the the humor writing in the dialogue just blows my mind. Yeah, I agree. Now, did um Khan write all the dialogue? Uh, did he write the film as well, or or was he um? So from what I gather from the credits and from what I gather from the uh, commentary, which I still need to talk about, like how that's presented, it was Khan and um, – do I seriously not have it Mark, opened? Mark Palermo, it looks like. Mark Palermo, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it was uh, Khan and Mark Palermo who both uh, co-wrote it. Okay. So it, it was Khan came up with the idea, and the two of them wrote it together. Nice. And um, – Oh man, no. The 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 writing of the dialogue in the movie is just like it's on point. Crazy to me. Like there was that whole uh there's that whole rant that I just read. Um there's that there's that exchange with the well there's multiple exchanges with the police, but like I don't like when they're like kind of giving the protagonist like hell because like what she described like when she was attacked like is like it's, it's straight great. out of yeah, like uh yeah, they're like, is that just like what happened in Scream? And she's like, I'm not like. <laughs> oh, know. oh, I mean, no, no, no. Here's a, here's a great it's like. So Wikipedia, I'm sorry, not Wikipedia. IMDb has some great quotes pulled out, and like, here is one oh, to cool. me that really made me laugh. And like, this is a great line in the movie. And oof, did you know that more Grizzly Lake kids have been conceived to Oasis than any other Beatles cover <laughs> band? Definitely, maybe is like the British working class roof and all. That's hilarious. That is an amazing dark fucking joke. You know what roofinol is, right? It's a yeah. rape drug. It's a roofie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, that's a funny, dark fucking ass joke right there. Yes, yes. <laughs> wow. Also calling uh, Oasis a um, Beatles cover band is hilarious. That's a great line. That's a great <laughs> line. More than any other Beatles cover band. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, problem with kids today, they don't know how to channel aggression. Football, that's the way. Otherwise, the dream of girls. And then end, end up in prison on rape charges. Wow. <laughs> um. And then there's a whole big speech at the end, which we'll get to at the end. We, like, we'll get to the end of this movie, because I think the end of this movie is goddamn fucking brilliant. And we will yeah. be spoiling the end of this movie. There's no way I can talk about it without spoiling the end of this movie. Oh man. So um, so what also I kind of I kind of like hinted at before another really cool thing that this movie does is it has it doesn't even attempt to tell a straightforward narrative in that it is we already mentioned that there's a lot of time travel shenanigans going on but then yeah. we also have these little vignettes that get their own individual title cards which um, we get these little short stories of backstories about the characters, like the uh, the football head quarterback who got uh, fly blood in him that made his blood poisonous uh -huh. and to cover up his hand, which um, ext extracted like the poisonous chemicals. His father put a television on it. So he's constantly walking around as a child. He grew up with a television constantly playing attached to his <laughs> hand, which the kids all made fun of him for. Which did you catch who played the dad? Um, I don't think I did. You no. know the vignette I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I had like the whole like the exploding dog happening in that. The dad was played by Richard Blake. Richard Brake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. 
Yep. Who's a exploitation actor. Rob Zombie kind of brought him back. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's really, really good character actor. Uh, been in also had a pretty good role in Game of Thrones. But uh, like, yeah, he, I always think of him. In, uh, he showed up briefly in uh, The Mandalorian for all you Star Wars fans out there. Um, I, I did not like the movie. But he is amazing in 31, the Rob Zombie movie. Oh, yeah. At, at least, like, you can just watch the the opening monologue he gives, and then you can turn off the movie because you then you saw the best part of the movie. I but, I like the movie, but, yes, the opening monologue is the best part of the movie. <laughs> it, it, it's great. It's, it's all because of Richard Brake. And yeah. he, uh, he, he plays a dad in detention for that quick little vignette scene of... Right of like the kid having fly blood and getting the TV on his hand. And so like, that's the thing with this movie that we keep getting these little vignettes that are almost essentially short films that are all these other little side stories, backstories, other things that, and sometimes they add more context to what you're watching. Sometimes they completely change everything that you've been watching up to the movie thus far, such as when you find out that the mother and daughter uh, one of the mother and daughter characters have actually switched bodies, and the entire time you've been watching the movie, it's actually like the mother is in the kid's body, and the kid is in the mother's body. So it's it's Freaky Friday, but the Freaky Friday was just a side character in this right, right. movie. Um, and then, of course, what I keep mentioning, there's the extraterrestrial time-traveling bear, which is... When I first saw this movie and they were showing like they have this little montage of showing like all of these little cl- clips from the character's youth. And then they they show the bear that's in the high school audit- in the high school, like I'm um, not auditorium, but in the um, the room you walk into when you first enter like a building like a high school. Uh, right. I, I can't believe I'm spacing on what you call it. I that. don't know. I don't yeah. know what it's called. But I haven't I know been, I haven't been in school in so long. Like a lobby? A lobby, sure, yeah. They yeah. have a bear in the school lobby. I think a lobby is what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, a, a stuffed grizzly bear in the school lobby, hence the name of the school. And they're showing these quick shots of backstories from all the characters. And then the camera cuts to the bear, and it zooms in. And then it cuts <laughs> to this, like, war wasteland, and it's like planet star lake or something yeah. like that and they bear yeah. lumbling like a, an actual real bear they got a real bear for this movie walking through this sci-fi wasteland i remember the first time watching this being like what the fuck is happening and i love this movie with all my heart yeah, like, yeah. and then the bear gets into a spaceship which then takes it to earth which then somehow the bear gets the spaceship and the bear get incorporated together, which turn into a time machine, which I don't know exactly how or when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the movie ever actually tries to explain how it the doesn't, bear it doesn't need and the to. UFO time machine become the same entity. I'm just going to go with when the bear entered it to became one. And yes, yes. Oh my god. And, and so um I saying like that this movie actually directly inspired one of my books. Um my third book I wrote Shatner Quest, not Shatner Quake. Yes, I wrote two books about William Shatner. One is Shatner Quest is not a sequel to Shatner Quake. I wrote two ridiculous books revolving around William Shatner that are unrelated. Yes, I did that. Um but my second <laughs> one Shat 
Shatner Quest, yes, that was bananas. That's, it's very accurate. Um, Shatner Quest has uh, flashback chapters where um, all the main characters and some side characters get short little flashback chapters. And that was, I got that idea directly from the movie Detention with it doing these little flashback vignettes telling these short little stories which um frequently humanized the character more or provided yeah i mean i feel like that was i mean that's kind of a literary technique anyway you know i you know yeah but i'm just telling you i got it from detention like that's crazy maybe a literary technique that's used but I got it from this movie. Well, I mean, I'm I'm saying that mainly to uh, argue for um, why detention, uh, like you know, as as another reason to say why detention's so good. Like you know, like it's kind of doing something that would, I don't know. Like I feel like you would see in a book, but like doing it in a movie, that's just cool. I don't know. It, it's it's a pretty daring device that this movie uses. That the movie really makes a lot of assumptions on the audience that the audience is going to be able to just go with it to go with it and which i already mentioned about the uh the uh, rotten tomato scores uh they have the audience apparently did not go along with it and yeah and um i was like kind of semi-promoting this episode online in advance uh like posting pictures on my social media about like hey we're gonna be talking about uh I think it's like the best Bizarro movie that you probably haven't seen. And most of the people who commented was like, holy shit, I love this movie. I literally have never heard anyone else ever mention this movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was pretty much like all the comments I got was people just being like, yeah, I love this. And literally nobody mentions this movie anywhere. Yeah, because I I remember seeing it and thinking it was going to be like – um, like, I mean, when I say seeing it, I mean, like, seeing it for the first time and thinking it was going to be, like, kind of this big game changer. But, yeah, you're right. Like, nobody really talks about it anymore. But I, I don't know. Maybe people nobody should. Nobody talked about this movie when it was released. Like, it, um, it, like, it, it was a complete fucking flop. Yeah. It, like, I, like, I have it, uh, pulled up, like, how much did I make at the box office? Um, actually, it doesn't have. Uh, I don't think it was in theaters. I think it did South by Southwest and then went straight to. Uh, oh, streaming. oh, that would make sense because, like, yeah, I saw it on. Uh, I saw it on video, and yeah. um, I don't remember coming out in theaters. And that also makes sense. This movie was actually a hundred percent self-funded by uh, Joseph Kahn. Yes. He he literally I- cleaned out his bank account and took out loans and shit to make this movie wow that's cool yeah um this was like this was literally a passion project and i feel it very very much shows in a very positive way but no by um, by me like either this was just really really straight to video like nobody fucking talked about this movie and whenever i tried to bring it up to people uh one of the big detriments that i always had in getting people to watch it people would just immediately be like oh dane cook's in it I don't want to watch that. And I got to be honest, I barely know who Dane Cook is. Like, I actually forgot that he was in this. I know he's a stand-up comedian, and people have very strong opinions on Dane Cook. And, like, I barely know who he is. For the record, I don't like stand-up comedy. 
I'm so sorry. I, I'm sorry, everyone. I don't like it. I don't find the guy lecturing me on stage entertaining at all. And so I don't watch any stand-up comedy, any, except it. So I have no idea who Dane Cook is, and he's the principal in this movie, and he's fucking Yeah, so I thought his first he's few stand-ups great. were pretty funny, and then, like, he, like, disappeared, and apparently it had something to do with stealing jokes. I don't, I don't really know the whole story, so I don't want to, like, I don't Talk pay attention to anything in that world. All I know is I feel like every comedian, every now and then, like I hear about some other comedian accused of stealing jokes. Like I think yeah. every comedian gets accused of stealing jokes, and it's somebody that works in like the creative field. So I'm like, yeah, everyone steals fucking everything. What's the fucking point? <laughs> what are you arguing about? Or do you think yeah. you're all somehow unique in that you stand up on stage talking? Right. I I right. don't like I don't like Sam comedy. I don't like Sam comedians. I I I don't like any of that shit. Okay. They are not modern day truth tellers. I, I think some of them are. <laughs> no, they're not. Um, God damn it. Well, this is a topic for another day. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But they, but, uh, uh, but uh, like people really did not like like. Apparently, I guess Dane Cook is a very mainstream. I'm getting kind of. He got like a very. Yeah, he got big for a while. Like, I mean. Because, then, like, like, my cool alt-hip friends, and I'd be like, you've got to see Detention. And they'd be like, oh, Dane Cook's in it. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. But he's very yeah. funny in this movie. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, he's fine in this movie. And, like, I don't know. Oh, like, I think he's very funny in this I make $40,000 yes. a year plus <laughs> dental. You may not have a skittle. Right? Like, I, I think he's very funny it's in this It's a great movie. line. It's a great line. Yes. And, like, I feel like... I don't know, like, from what I remember of, of, of Dane Cook's stand-ups, like, he would be, he's the perfect guy to deliver that line, you know? Um, I did get from the, I did get from the commentary that he considered this movie to be very outside what he normally does professionally, but he had a lot of fun doing it because it was a bit crazier than what he, he otherwise does. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... I can't imagine, I don't know, I can't imagine, like, not wanting to see a movie just because somebody I didn't like. Dude, you know people are like that all the fucking time. Yeah, I know, I know, but... People get really, like, I am such a weird person that, like, actors and actresses mean, like, fucking nothing to me. Like, I am from the school, like, the Hitchcock School of Filmmaking, where, in my opinion, uh, like, actors are glorified, glorified props, that I do not understand why people focus so much on them. Like, oh, I'll fully admit, some of them are very pretty. Some of them are very pretty. And they're very interesting to look at. But for the most extreme part, like, they're not writing the words that they're saying. They're not dictating the outfits that they're wearing. They're not sh- They're not coming up with the angles and the lighting that we're viewing them from they're a very pretty object that we're looking at to relate lots of yeah, other but ideas. I mean, they may now, be... now, being able to relate those ideas is yeah. its own skill and art form in its own. Do not right. get me wrong at all right there. But when people latch on to an actor being like, I will see everything with them in it, or I won't see anything with them in it, I do not understand it because it's like... Yeah, I don't either. Like, you never hear anybody talk about that with like somebody doing lighting. or. Yeah. <laughs> Or, like, you will hear people talk about that with directors, which I argue is more relevant. Sure. Like, for example, who's the guy that um, did um, The Lobster and uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer? 
I've never watched one of his movies. Again. I don't remember his name. Yeah, but... that guy, I'm never watching one of his movies again. Right, right, right. Yes, you're not into those movies. Um, yes, like, I get what he's doing. But, like, like but, like, uh, I like a lot of, like, I think Tom Cruise comes across as a really shady and shitty person. And if you look up a lot of stuff about the cult of Scientology, like, yeah. what, what he's been involved in, like, he actually may be, like, a kind of dangerous person. But uh, he's in some really good movies. And I don't think yeah. it's Tom Cruise all the time. Like, it's because it's good writers and directors. Right. Right. And this show that, like, whatever people think of, like, Dane Cook's live performance, whatever his mainstream appeal is, because I actually literally, I have no idea who, like, I just know he's somebody in comedy. I know nothing else about him. Yeah. Um, uh, but, like, he was funny in this movie, I thought, and I know that when I kept trying to show all my weirdo friends this movie, a lot of them immediately, like, Dane Cook's in it. Hmm. Well, yeah, if uh, I don't know, don't let that be a sticking point because uh, this you will miss out on a on a crazy, crazy fucking absolutely movie. insane movie. Yeah, one of the more insane movies I think that has like ever been made. I yeah yeah like it's I don't know like it's it it's just so like it's got such an energy to it like it it I don't know it almost it almost does have like a trauma energy to it in a way like and that was actually i i was really shocked that in the whole commentary they never once mentioned trauma um i was shocked when i was looking up online i listened to a bunch of interviews and read a bunch of interviews with joseph khan i was honest to god legitimately surprised that trauma never came up that there was actually something that in the um blu-ray home release special features that they actually go into that they reshot multiple scenes in the movie because with the scene that they had written to script and they shot it it was too boring. So they had to reshoot it with extra stuff going on in the background. Which is that totally a Lloyd Kaufman move. Yes, that's it. That's exactly a fucking trauma filmmaking technique right there. Yeah. And that the movie yeah. is literally designed, no matter what is happening, no matter where you are looking on screen, there is some sort of gag, joke, weird yes. thing, something interesting is happening. And they kept having to rewrite and refilm parts of the movie because it wasn't interesting enough. Yeah. I mean that, and that's true in trauma, like even going all the way back to like the first turn on, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah. Like just always having stuff going on, you know, that you can, if your eye wanders a little bit, you'll still like, you know, so that's, to something. So that's like a great lesson of filmmakers that Lloyd Kaufman always talks about. And um, the director, uh, Joseph Kahn here, also demonstrates of, you know, don't be boring. That's one of the benefits that you're working in this type of medium. You can you're watching the screen like one of my favorite things was um, after one of the kids gets killed in the detention hall and two of the characters are having a conversation out of focus in the background the uh, goth girl goes up to the body that's attached to the wall and pokes it and the <laughs> bottom half of the body falls off with the with the intestines spilling out this is all out of focus the two characters we were focused on is, are still having the conversation right. and you see the goth girl look around and no one has noticed and they kind of slink off to the side yes. <laughs> I, I thought that was like such great humor and just like great use of like you're an artist. Use everything 
at all times. Every single moment is an opportunity to make whatever point you're trying to make. Yeah, I mean, even if it's even if the point is just to like, yeah, just be like so. Um, I don't know, just like in this, so. In like, the case of this movie, I feel like the end point of it all is just to be entertaining, and this movie, yeah, it's like exactly. all stops to be as entertaining as fucking possible, and. Apparently, other people don't find it entertaining, but, like, I mean, I have diagnosed adult ADHD, and yeah, my brain, like, keeps keeps space with, the, like, keeps time with this perfectly fine. Like, kind of yeah. want to know what the inside of my brain is going on at all times. Watch detention. Like, <laughs> that is, like, what the inside of Jeff's brain looks like. I could totally see that. Um, Complete yeah, I, cool indie rock remix version of Mbop by Hanson. <laughs> Remember, that's the reoccurring Umbop is a yes. reoccurring motif in this movie for that's some right. unknown, insane reason. Well, because I mean, I mean, I guess since the movie is like you know, Umbop was not... the late nineties. Yeah, was the late nineties. This movie's jumping back and forth between the two main time periods are two thousand ninety-two and the in the late two thousands. Umbop is not a radio hit at either one of those points. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I was saying that it's like, but there's lots of other like '90s nostalgia in the movie. So like, yeah, oh, there's a lot. Yeah, like I mean, I mean, yeah, for men. The the most expensive scene in the movie was when they did the rotating camera scene in the detention hall, showing all the errors of detention. With remember, there's that one character who's been in detention for decades for reasons that nobody no longer can even remember, and he's always (laughs) there. when they're doing that camera spin scene and they're showing all the fashions and trends changing and all the music changing, that was the most expensive scene for the entire movie solely because of getting the song rights. So all those number one hit songs from all those different eras. Yeah. That's how, I mean, yeah, that's how it works a lot. Right. I mean, because I remember, when Guardians of the Galaxy came out and people were saying it was the most expensive soundtrack ever and it's because of yeah. all those classic yeah. rock songs. Yeah. And and this movie does like it it's this movie's also kind of like aged well because I mentioned about that Umbop being the reoccurring motif theme for the movie. Even yeah. though Umbop wasn't a hit song in either or two major eras that the movie's kind of playing off of, there's a lot of aspects to it that are kind of um amalgamish as in yes. it's out of time that it is a time traveling movie it is playing off a of pop culture stuff popular associated with specific dates however characters both act and talk out of time frame time periods mm. an awful lot throughout the whole movie yeah yeah like you get characters that are doing like modern day characters that are doing seventies quotes and references, right? The whole right. time, or the um, like one of the things of like ah, just don't pay, just don't think about it, just roll with it. When the daughter gets her body swapped with her mom's body, she's back in the um early nineties trying to use a uh, smartphone but can't get a connection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Remember that. Now, keep in mind, it doesn't make any sense how the phone ended up back in time. That's one of the things that was acknowledged in the commentary of just don't um, just don't think about it. Just go with it. It makes for a good joke and it gets across the point we're trying to make, which right. I also like a lot. Like not 
everything doesn't always have to make sense. I agree. Like, I agree. Like it's uh, fine. It's fine if something doesn't exactly totally continuity wise make sense. If it makes for a better joke or if it makes for a better story or if it makes for a better scene, like none of this is real in the first fucking place. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, these, the, they can have their own, uh, these, these works can have their own rules and the rules can change. I, I think, you know, even as, you know, as the as the piece moves along. Um, oh, and this movie is literally the thing of like constantly changing its constantly every constantly. single like like the opening scene of this movie is this like hyper stylized um like uh L A rich bitch schoolgirl uh getting ready for her day and um. Oh, oh God! I got—I have the quote here actually that uh, she she runs her life over. Um, oh fuck! 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 Oh oh! I'm Tyler Fisher and I'm a bitch. Beauty, intelligence, talent, charisma, hoobastank. And <laughs> and then. After this montage of her getting ready for school, she gets her throat slit, blood pours out, thrown out a window. Um, I also loved the little joke of when she's slamming her closet door, her cat's half out yes. of the closet, and the cat's head gets slammed in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man, I work with cats. It made me laugh. I thought it was funny because she's such a bitch. Who <laughs> 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 mistake? And, um, and then it cuts to the, like, the main character, which is, um, uh, like, uh, what's her name? Uh, I, Riley, right? I'm, I'm, I'm Riley Jones, and I'm a loser. And you, you, they do that reveal of her slowly pulling her hands off from under her blankets, and then it's it looks like it's blood. Oh yeah, and, and, and you're like, like, it's like, so you don't know where the movie's going. Like, is she waking up with an injury? Did she, is this like something of like her having her period in the movies, like doing the coming of age thing of that? No, she fell asleep eating uh, fries with like, ketchup, yeah. and the bl- she pulled the blanket, so everything's a mess. Like, and then she just, like eats one. Like, yeah, she does. Yeah, she does. Yeah, and then she yeah, eats some. Great. And then when she gets like held up by, um, uh. Like all in this, this is all in the opening scene. Gets held up by like the ultra hipster guy wearing like the rainbow cat shirt yeah, yeah. and like a pink hoodie, not too different than the pink hoodie that I am wearing right now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're both pink tonight. Yeah, I noticed that we're both wearing pink tonight. Uh, pink's a good color on men. Don't don't let anybody tell you otherwise, listeners. Um, but like he get she gets held up by like the ultra like new like mid two thousands New York City Brooklyn hipster, um not not the artisanal hipster but the neon hipster, like yeah. y'all everyone listening get the difference between the two if you remember back to those areas there were those two 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 yeah Lucas is standing up he's kind of dressed up as a neon hipster right now like I'll have you know I'm wearing like a crust. Scott across ska band shirts. So like yeah. I, I don't know where I'm at in this right now. Lucas though has got the neon hipster look rocking. Lucas looks like the guy who robbed the girl and <laughs> um in the opening scene of detention uh, uh, robbed Riley. But that's like a really cool thing in this movie is the um the characters and the types of people they got to play the characters and there's something that the director is very conscious of was um for instance like having the black having the a main black character be a goth girl and it's totally yeah. removed from quote unquote like urban culture that they're a goth and yeah. um we see representatives of um all different 
ethnicities, of sexualities, of backgrounds throughout this movie, and that was all conscientiously done on purpose by the director because, like, this is all fictional, and this is an insane movie, so you can do anything, so why not have it be all sorts of different types of people and not the types of people you always physically see in these types of movies which also right. seems like a very much a trauma type of filmmaking technique to me oh, completely uh, agree. Pe- picking people that look interesting and also picking people to play roles that they wouldn't normally off-type. be yeah off type yeah to be. yeah so now joseph khan though he <laughs> man i mean it's crazy that this, like, I don't know, like, I don't know if you're ready to go into it, but, like, just, like, this movie is so bananas, but his main job is, like... Mm. Let's go into that a little bit, but let's yeah. hold off a little bit more. But let's we let's go into how his day job influences this movie. I'm very, yeah, yeah. Because his day job is he's a music video director he's right. directed um at least according to um wikipedia he's currently credited for 182 music videos and yeah. we'll get into this a little bit more later but when we say directing music videos we're talking wu-tang clan we're talking eminem we're talking um lady gaga we're talking Katy perry youtube yeah. papa roach dmx we'll, we'll go into this more later britney spears but like this it's is like everybody this is the the upper echelon music video yeah guy and i feel that shows a lot in this movie from the stylistic and, standpoint and we'll get to that when um i have some stuff pulled up that we'll begin to in the end about the critical reactions to this film and it's kind of like a lot of critics a lot of audience seem to think that the movie just was essentially too ADD, and as somebody that has literal diagnosed ADD, like, whole fucking life, um, like, this movie speaks to my brain. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's, change, it's changing what it's talking about every 30 seconds, and it's hard to keep up with. I'm not going to lie about that, but it's definitely a movie that I think is, like, super fun to, like, like crack open some beers get a little stoned and throw this on man you're gonna have a wild fun time yeah because it's i mean i don't know like it's the energy that makes the movie more uh, more than like what's actually happening i feel like you know because because like you said like it is a little hard to follow but like i don't know but, it's just but it's but it's it's it is it's hard to follow in the context that if somebody asked you immediately after a scene, all right, explain to me how one thing led to another. It's a little bit difficult to connect the pieces. However, when you're watching it, it all makes logical sense in universe in this right, world. Right, right, And that's like a music video because he's done a lot of music videos uh, that are of, like very kind of narrative aspects to them. And it's about this flowing of ideas and feelings into one another to tell a story and to make a point, not so much of logically connecting point like piece A plus piece B equals 
PC, it's emotion A, joke B, feeling C can lead us to point F. Like it's a little bit more abstract in the filmmaking, in, in stylistic filmmaking. And this is in kind of like many ways a like hour and a half music video. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, and there was a time where like, Maybe that would have been looked at as a bad thing, but like I don't know. In this movie, it, it just weirdly works. Oh, I, I think I think this works very well. Like I've seen um, other movies have tried to pull off vaguely similar things. Um, like I'm immediately thinking of like <sighs> Kuso. Do you, are you are you familiar with Kuso oh. that was done by Flying Lotus? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. um. I haven't they, seen it, but I know I know what it is. It's interesting. I, I I don't like it very much, but it's very interesting, and I find it an interesting project. But it still just does One of those not. Where you're like glad me. it exists, but you're not so glad you saw it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way of putting that. Yeah. And someone like some people may be like, like, well, this gets off easy because it uses the structure of a teen comedy, teen romance. And it's like, well, yeah, it gave itself a structure to then drape all of this insanity on top of. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's what actually makes it work as both a work of art and a work of entertainment. But there is a structure that, like. Holy crap, like there's all this crazy rigging built off of it, but like there is a house underneath it all. But there oh, yeah. may be like tree houses going off with their own little sky swimming pools, <laughs> but there is a stability to the whole monster creation here. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Like, relate to that, like it, the director purposely went into it. Um, with that like i had this uh i found i mentioned before i found some interviews here's one quote that i really liked from one of the interviews i found that uh that uh joseph khan did with gizmodo back in the day this was right right when the movie was coming out um uh this is all a direct quote from uh joseph khan the conceit from the very beginning was to do a high school movie that contained all the genres and mix them together and cohesively tell a story out of it. I also wanted to challenge the audience to question the concept of genre itself. If you really think about it, what is a genre really? It's a way Market. of telling a story with a certain set of rules, and those rules are dictated by setting and location and time frame. Like a Western is very distinct from a science fiction film versus a romantic thriller or whatever. Sometimes they do tiny little mixes or something like that. But today's mashup society where the Internet has advanced people to a complete, completely different level and people are not even viewing social societal norms the same way they did before. What does it mean to be gay in a romantic comedy anymore? The rules change and that's becoming normal. Back in the day, you had a certain set of genre rules because society had a certain perce perception of these are the rules of human beings. Well, the rules of human beings are changing, so genre rules have to change. This is, a, this is an experiment in terms of finding a new way of telling a story about kids today using genre to reflect who they are. 
see that's why i like i mean that approach right there like is why i i i suggested earlier that maybe this movie was a little bit ahead of its time you know i mean because i think and now let's talk about that now and why i'd say it's not ahead of its time is i'd like to point out the framework of this movie coming out that this was the mashup era this movie came out at the height of mashups being a cultural popular thing pride and prejudice and zombies girl talk myself shatner quake this was all in the same couple Abraham year period. Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Yeah, yeah, this was all in the same couple year period. Um, I th- he this was part of that mashup movement of the late two thousands, early twenty tens, which I myself was a ma- like. Remember, I was covered in fucking Wall Street Journal. Right. But I feel like you weren't seeing it much in, in movies until like a few years later, right? Film always lags behind the other mediums just due to the nature of how long it takes to make a movie. Right. That's true. And so and so this was coming out as part of that still same movement, I would argue. Yeah. Because the late two thousands, early twenty teens had this big mashup movement across all mediums of art. Right. And I like that was something that really spoke to me. Like obviously I took part in it. I I was one of the names and and that's not just me like blowing smoke up my own ass, like fucking Wall Street Journal name checked me. ABC News has name checked me. Vice Magazine name checked me. I know it was crazy, all because I wrote a book about William Shatner fighting <laughs> other versions of himself. Everyone thought that was so funny. Aren't we yeah. all just fighting I, other versions of ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that, Lucas. Uh, but like, like that was a artistic movement that was happening at the time, and I feel that was kind of like a weird blip fad that kind of went away yeah yeah because we also had like the youtube videos around those time periods of like you know like harry potter all grown up that was like a oh right popular thing. and like cracked was making all of their videos which were really very heavy on genre on on mashup culture like mashup culture was like a fucking thing oh yeah and you even had that that south park episode where it was like imagination land yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another thing that was kind of like the idea of like, all right, we have been inundated with all this shit from all these corporate structures for so long and they control so much of our reality. Fuck it. We're just using them now. Like if yeah. you're surrounding, if, you, if you're going to surround us by them on a day to day basis, fuck it. They're now part of our tool, tool They're box. public domain now. Yeah, they're public <laughs> yeah. domain now and we're going to do what we want with them despite what – uh and like it, it's like a fun thing of now detention did not do this and i right. will be a, little, be a little bit like detention you don't have the balls to take on any copyrighted stuff but myself and like girl talk and cory doctorow and like some other creators we took actually like copyrighted things and remixed them for our own usage and we all had legitimate concerns over like we might get in serious legal trouble over this but no one ever came for any of us. And yeah. it, was just, it was just kind of accepted. Like, okay, this is now a new art form that we really have to right. just accept. Well, I and guess that doesn't like, mean anything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, because I guess, uh, what was it? Like, I guess, is it like, because I don't know anything about the legal side of things. But I'm assuming because it was, I guess it falls under parody, I guess. 
Oh, well, what specifically was um, the Supreme Court has already had previously ruled before all the smash up culture became a thing that you could um, legally use copyrighted work as long as then what you use it for reinterpreted and commented upon it. So the whole mashup culture thing that happened in the late 2000s, early 2010s was all based on that idea of using the works to make commentary upon it gotcha. and create new works in the process there. So, for example, to like a easier way of explaining this is um, or like, like a simple example to explain this is I read a book about called Shatner Quake. In which had William Shatner as the main character um, in the real world, and all the characters he's ever played get sucked into our world, and he's fighting off all the other Shatner characters because there can only be one Shatner. And so it's you know it's a comedy, it's a joke kind of on celebrity culture and how like actors and their roles being different, blah blah blah. So that's me using things that already exist and trying to i'm like i am literally directly commenting on them right. but and i could sell that and make money but i couldn't write jeff burke star trek and just right. write a star trek episode and sell that because i am not reinterpreting the material i am not commenting on it i am not using it in any way you can't prop it off fiction a, a legitimate new point like yes right. and that's just fan fiction and that's yeah. the difference between like fan art, fan art and mashup art, at least in what was going on in that time period. And for like those of us that were actually like making money off of it and selling it and marketing it and shit is that, yeah, it, that, that was the big difference in it. Gotcha. And uh, I, I do view detention as kind of like part of that whole movement and it was much more in a uh, theoretical sense. Um, they did have a little bit of balls at times because they do directly name drop Scream. Yeah. And even be like, isn't this like Scream? Yeah. Because <laughs> really, it is really funny when they have like, because they create this in-universe uh, Cinderella. Right. A movie franchise that's obviously both a stand-in for Scream and Saw. And right. and it's kind of like making fun of them, and you think they're doing it because oh you can't say those names in the movies because blah, blah blah you'll get sued blah blah blah, and then like no they just directly drop it. They like, yeah, it's great because they have a long general thing about Cinderella and be like oh okay so they're talking about Scream but they just can't legally say that, and then one of the characters is like sounds an awful lot like Scream. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It's a great joke, and that's also kind of like a little meta joke of like basing off of the audience's perceptions of what the audience legally knows is allowed. And yeah. that's also a lot of things that this movie was like really fucking with, and a lot of the mashup artists, including myself, was trying to fuck with, is working under what the audience assumed was going to happen because they thought they were familiar with the material and the tropes. And it's like, what if we just stop paying attention to that? And what if we just start bringing in other tropes from other places? Yeah, no, I mean, and it's, it's a cool idea. Like it, and, and it, I don't know, just, I don't know. Cause you, it, 
like when I was, I did not expect, like, I mean, the first time I saw it, especially like, I mean, I knew, I knew it going in this time, but like the first time I saw it, like, I did not expect time travel to be a thing. Like, like no, 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 no. Even, I mean, the time travel doesn't even get induced until like halfway through the movie, practically, yeah. I feel. And it's like, by that point and the time, it's like, Time travels in a deuce, and then you get a time traveling bear, and it's just like, what the hell is happening here? <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's a great, it's great. I mean, it just, I mean, I kind of feel like it came out at the perfect time in a way because, like, you had Cabin in the Woods come out before that, and that was kind of like the, uh, I don't know, like, here's everything we've done before. What's next? And then, like, yeah, tension yeah. was like just such an interesting way to follow that up. And I'm not saying that's that was Joseph Kahn's intention, but like, yeah, I that's don't know. really interesting to bring up those two movies. I'm like, god damn, they make for a fun double feature right yeah. there together. Because yeah. um, Cabin in the Woods essentially is here is a summarization of the entire history of the horror genre. That's what I argue at its very core, what Cabin in the Woods is. It's an entire summary of the entire history of the horror genre. And then Detention is, um, we're aware of the entire history of all genres, and let's blow them up. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That would actually be like, start with Cabin in the Woods, and then you go to Detention. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to do, like, yeah, exactly. Oh, man, if you want to do acid, you drop the acid at the beginning of the cabin in the woods, and then by the second half of the cabin in the woods, you're starting to come up, you're starting to come up, and then as you're really starting to get into it, the tension kicks in, and then it's, oh, man, that'd be a great night. Great night. This is this is all satire. Lucas tells me I'm no longer allowed to encourage federal well, it, drug it, violations. It's, it's Spotify. Spotify. Spotify makes the rules, not not me. Dear Spotify, um, that was satire. Yeah. <laughs> man, that'd be a good night. Yes. Oh man. Um, so yeah. yeah so no. let's uh um uh, let's address now. Um, unless you have more about the movie, let's address the very end of the movie, and then we can start talking about like some of the other stuff around this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, yeah, let's so, go there. Just want to address the very end on its own, just that way, like people have the opportunity to skip over it or turn off the episode, go watch it, and come back. But the ending of this movie is awesome. Um, and it's and it's because. It's actually really, for as insane as this movie is, and for all over the map this movie is, the ending is actually very wholesome, personal, sweet. And we get that, remember, we get that ending montage showing where everyone ends up. And the director specifically made a point that he wanted his character's journeys to end on, was that he was making a teen movie. And that a lot of teen movies make a point that the things you're going through actually don't matter. And you're just a teenager and you don't know what the world is. And so you're trying to just figure out and you don't even know that your your story doesn't matter yet. And you're right. about to grow up and then then your story will matter when you grow up, then you will fulfill your things. And the director um, Joseph Kahn specifically did not want that. He wanted to have a message of everyone's stories matter. No matter yeah. how boring or awful your story is, you still matter. And even if you never made it, like 
even if you never made it to any of your potential, you still matter because you're a human being. And this movie yep. ends on outside of the killer, everybody gets a happy ending. We and it's all very personal, low key happy endings. Like, yeah, one of the happy was... endings is like the the principal starts a garage rock band, and it doesn't fucking matter. They just play in his garage because he's having fun and he's able to feel fun again. No, it's uh, I mean that was something that really took me by surprise too. You know because you know in our in our I mean and I know this isn't like a proper horror movie, but it you know, often gets mentioned in that conversation. Just but because like, I think, as we already talked about, horror fans are going to be pretty much the only people to be open-minded enough to actually enjoy this movie. Yeah, and and it does play with, you know, the slasher tropes. And like, some, you know, yeah. Yeah, like what, like, you know, and then the slashers always always come back at the end, and, you know, and when, you know, in the... Uh, when the heroes think they're about to ride off. Oh, the there's that whole great fake out ending at prom where yeah. they're doing umbop and they're doing like the big dance number and it's a total fake out ending. Oh yeah. And oh, then, yeah. and then it's now the killer really reveals themselves and they have the, the big martial arts showdown with um, yeah. Patrick Swayze style versus Steven Seagal style. <laughs> I, I love this movie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love this so movie. good. Uh, but, that, but I really love that, like how Holtzman ends, and what the director is trying to comment on there at the ending of like through all this insanity, what is just what's only the only thing that's important is do you feel happy in your day to day life? Yeah, because nothing else literally matters in the world at all. Can can you say you're happy or not? And all these characters start at a po- point at the beginning of the movie of profound unhappiness. That is where we're – and throughout the movie, we learn their whole backstories. Like the principal who actually tried to blow up the high school that he's now in charge of, but he yeah. failed at blowing it up, and he just injured himself. Mm-hmm. But he's now a mockery for it, and it's all because he was in love with the time-traveling girl. Yeah. It's and I like it all, it's, it's all wrapping around, but then it ends with him like getting that like garage band and just kind of like doing his like, thing, doing this thing and trying to be like he's still connected to the school because he wants to be a kid, but he's too hung up and he can't be a kid. And so, what's a healthy way to express <laughs> that? Is, that yeah, is him having a garage rock band while being the principal of the school, and it's like, and that's just one little brief side story that's just touched on and we get to see everybody's like side stories yeah. i thought that was like super super sweet and then the very ending of the movie the the last line before the final rant is it's not the end of the world it's just high school and then we find out that the exchange student from canada which by the <laughs> way did you catch that joke that he was yeah. an exchange student from Canada, the same guy that gave the anti-vegan rant earlier in the movie, talking about how to eat, talking about like I only like eat to baby eat animals. baby animals. Turns out that he's part of an alien race that is here invading the Earth to punish mankind for eating vegetables. That he is a vegetable race, and we have done tremendous harm, genocide to plants on this earth. Remember, the main character of this whole movie is vegetarian, and the movie ends with her eating a salad while this plant alien life is declaring, oh, that's right, after that all, then she says, then she says, it's not the end of the world, it's just high school. And then and then it cuts to that great thing of, you have been watching detention. Like, oh, 
mm, 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 and nails it. Such an insane, great movie. And I can totally see why so many people would walk out of it at that moment and be like, that was stupid. I'm like, if you say that's stupid, you don't fucking get it, and you're actually not smart enough to talk to me as far as I'm concerned. I just lost you, Lucas. I was going to say, or you might also be kind of a miserable prick. Oh, oh, that could be the other thing. You might just be a miserable prick if, if, if that, and then you're like, I don't like it. Yeah. It's like, we just had this heartwarming thing building everything up. Oh, yeah, human race is doomed. We're invaded by aliens. Hey, remember that ridiculous guy from earlier in the movie? That was actually foreshadowing of yeah. what what's going to doom humanity. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love this movie. Oh, man. Oh, I, I just, yeah, I just absolutely adore this movie. It's, it's so much of my artistic interest, my artistic my personal artistic goals, seeing somebody else do them on screen, is just like wonderful being like, holy fucking shit. Somebody else sees what I am seeing and sees how things should be presented. Though people hated this movie. Um, audiences hated it. Critics hated it. It didn't make any money. Like, so I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> you know, um, I get that, but also like, this was clearly a passion project because he's, you know, he's, I don't know. Like, I mean, his, his, I guess, quote, real job is, you know, he makes music videos and they're for literally like the who's who of pop music. Like, all right. So before we get into that, cause that'll be a fun thing to go on to next. Yeah. Before you go into that, I just want to emphasize again that he mentioned that he, uh, completely funded this himself and that, and when you see other producers credits on it, um, as he explains in the commentary, it was unlike other Hollywood producers that, yes, they mm. did give money for it, but he had to pay back every penny that this movie was made with $10 million and all $10 million of it came solely out of his own pocket at the end of the day. Yeah. So, so Wild. how did this guy get $10 million to make his dream <laughs> movie project here? So you want to talk about his um, music video career? Yeah, I mean, geez, where do you start? I mean, like you said, it was like something like, okay, so the exact number... 182 music videos according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, early in his career, it was uh, stuff like the Ghetto Boys, um, but also like, I don't know, like he kind of moved up pretty quick because I'm also seeing early in his career like Willie Nelson and... Biohazard? biohazard exactly um and then it yeah it's he's got Aaliyah and snoop dogg and the backstreet boys and public enemy um Rob slick Zombie. rick um yeah Corn, ice cube faith no more snoop doggy dog the backstreet boys who are backstreet boys are oh my god everybody's backstreet's back he did that video and that song is in yeah is in this movie yes um bone thugs um, and harmony usher uh, like too. Blink Blink Two, Offspring, Garbage, Moby, Bon Jovi, Christina um, Aguilera, Britney Spears, Black Eyed Peas, Papa Roach, yep, Rihanna, <laughs> Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, like just yeah. Some Forty One, DMX, Moby, George Michael, TL. I think you already said TLC. Like we can keep going back and forth for a while on this it's list because crazy. it's it's insane. It's it's the who's who of top ten Billboard charts for 
like the, the past, last almost 30 years like no not almost 30 years I, i'd say it's oh yeah you're right of it's 30, 30 years yeah 1992 yeah jeez yeah, fuck world <laughs> <laughs> time passes i'm sorry yeah. Lucas. chronology is a I, I i say continuity is overrated but there's no fighting chronology yeah jesus uh <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, the point being, like, this guy is just, yeah, I mean, that's what his background is. Um, and he's still making, uh, you know, oh, yeah. he's still making music videos as of as of today. Um, his most recent video, according to Wikipedia, is, this is showing my age, is Ava Max, who is literally somebody I've never heard of. But she did have a number one sequel, it's number one single in the U.S., so... I don't listen to radio at all, though, so I have no idea who some people are. Um, There's some people that could be mega huge, and I have absolutely not a clue who they are, like Dane Cook. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I am a basic bitch, and I do know who Ava Max is, and oh, she's, really? she's actually pretty good. Um, oh, yeah. I, I literally have never heard that name before literally today in doing research for this episode. Yeah, I um, I don't know. You know, how, like, how Spotify will just like feed you shit, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, like I'm, 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 I'm like looking at like his most recent songs. I'm like Ava Max. I don't know who they are. Chris Brown. Didn't he beat Rihanna? I I believe so. I believe yeah. that is a thing that happened. And then then there's the Jonas Brothers, who I only know. I literally only know who they are because from of the, the South Park South episode. Park. And then there's somehow Mariah Carey, which I'm like, oh, yeah, she was around when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, you know, some J-Lo songs and uh, Taylor Swift. So, so what's yeah. interesting about listening to this guy in uh, interviews, I, I mentioned I listened to a bunch of uh, – I, I read and listened to a bunch of interviews with him, um, is he – I have to admit, this kind of – this soured me a little bit on him as a person. And um, it's not really an oh no thing. It's just more that people are multitudes and there can be some sides of them that you can respect. And there's some sides that can be like, I don't really like that about them. And I'm sure people can say the same thing about me, but he is very, very capitalistic. Um, And he's just very frank of, I live in the real world. I need money to survive. And I do what I do to get money. Yeah. And uh, he's like we're seeing here working with like Chris Brown and Travis Scott. And I'm like, wait, what did Travis Scott do? Killed a whole bunch. He his his festival was horribly designed, which he was head of. And a whole bunch of people died at it. It Well, I knew that. But I mean, it was the second worst concert disaster in American history. Yeah, I mean, I knew that happened, but like, I don't know. I feel kind of weird blaming the artist for like. He was a the riot. head producer, manager of the festival, and hired the like, and was part of the group that hired everyone. He's literally like, yeah. at the time, it's not like he was hired to perform at the festival. Mm. He was the official runner of it. Yeah. I'm sorry. He has to take blame. <sighs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't say Okay, this, we're going to disagree on this one. We're going to yeah, disagree yeah, yeah. on this one. Um, but, uh, but like, um, one of the interviews I listened to him, he talked about that, oh, boy, there's going to be a whole bunch of people listening that are going to immediately hate him for what I'm about to say. 
he talked about that once Joe Biden run, won the election, he moved out of L.A. Not because, as he put it, not because I'm a fan of Republicans, but because I know all of our taxes are about to be going up. Yeah. He also demonstrated in the interview that he doesn't actually understand how tax rates work. And he also talked about investing in crypto and NFTs. And yeah. so he's one of those dudes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're getting where I'm coming from. Yeah. 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 And he he talks about how he's greedy and he's of Asian descent. His words, not mine. That Asians are greedy, and he's a greedy Asian, and he's doing what he can to get yeah. paid. And I'm like, I don't like any of this that you're saying, dude. It's like, I, I like I, the uh, movie. You know, it's funny. Yeah, I actually I like I, the movie I, you made. I don't like anything you're saying right now. I, it's actually it's actually funny you mentioned all that. I used to follow him on Twitter, and I I actually this was years ago, but like I unfollowed him because he went on this bizarre rant about how like, I don't know, like it was about uh, pit bulls, the, the dogs like, and they're like, they're all terrible and should be put down. Like basically like, just like, I was, that's like, like a weird internet hot topic issue is if you mentioned pit bulls on the fucking internet, people go insane yeah. and I am not going to, we're not going to go into it on this show at all. Just to point out that it's like, it's insane. Like people can't talk. Yeah. Like it's one of those topics you can't have a sane conversation about yeah. on the earth. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I get the vague impressions from this guy that he's a Trump guy. Oh, okay. Purely from taxes perspectives, because yeah. I've heard him. He's like in the interviews and stuff, and talking about detention, referencing social representation, representation of queer people, representation of people of um not stereotypically falling into what their race is like for example in the in the topic sure. of attention having the having the the um the mugger not just the boy the mugger the mugger being a hipster white guy and yeah. have the goth character being a, a black woman like these are out of racial stereotypes types of characters so like he's got some interesting awareness there and he's from um, he's um, from Korean descent, and he's even talked about like how in his own professional career and things of like people have told like, like something's come up and he's been like, oh, yeah, that's not Korean. That's Japanese. And people are like, oh, yeah, well, most of the audience doesn't know that. And yeah. him having to deal with that type of erasure of his culture or um, having cultures mis confused and nobody care. Right. Right. And but then he's also kind of talking about actively like I don't like the Democrats because my taxes go up. And he yeah, talks, but that uh, talks but at least that. that's he talks to them about tax rates and he obviously doesn't understand how tax rates work. Right. Right. But I mean, at least like, I don't know, like I don't I don't 100 percent mind if somebody's like fiscally conservative because I get I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. To me, it it shows across like a fundamentally kind of selfish worldview, which is very surprising uh, with like a work like Detention, which um, for the record, he still talks about to this day in interviews as being his big movie. He made two hundred two other movies. Uh, Torque and uh, Bodied. And he also made right. a short film, Power Rangers, which we might get to 
uh, uh, we, we should probably talk about that as well. I rewatched um, that today. Uh, so did I. So like, then we yeah. have to talk about it here. Um, but he still talks about is like essentially detention being like that's his artistic that's his, his, artistic, his artistic statement. statement. Yeah, and, I can see that. Um, and though detention is also all based around just being like you know the individual and. There's, you know, there's a thing in political worldviews where, um, like, people misconstrue individuality for conservatism or libertarianism. We were talking a little bit about this right. off recording, and all honesty, he comes across to me as, as um, in his recordings as one of the people I told you off the recording. Honestly, you should just stay quiet and stay out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please don't talk about politics. You obviously do not understand it enough to comment on it gotcha gotcha no in all fairness don't worry he's not one of those cancel culture people he argues that cancel culture is bullshit and doesn't exist and it's just people getting upset at people yelling at them and it's like good at least you understand that wait so he thinks cancel culture doesn't exist in the context of like because he deals with ultra celebrities Oh, in the context of, yeah, those people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like when celebrities complain about getting canceled, it's he's in the concept uh, aspect of like, shut the fuck up. No, you're not. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, the weird kind of guy, I think he wants to control with po- politics, but really he just pays attention to his bank statement and sure. that's who he is. And is anybody wondering, like, Jeff, why are you talking about this much about him? This is what he talks about in his interviews. This is yeah. who he is. <laughs> this is what he wants people to know about him. Yeah. Which is I mean, an I can't, odd take. Yeah. Which is an odd take. Well, I mean, I don't I, – I get wanting to make money for sure. Um, I, But, like, I also get, like – I don't know. Like, I can't imagine that being my only motivator, you know? I don't get that either. And I also don't get, like, keep in mind, though, like, we're in uh, 2022 right now. And there's been 11 years since this movie's come out. Even though he still holds up this movie as, like, his artistic statement. um, I don't know how much that person may have changed in that intervening time. Sure. Like, he's mentioned he now has, like, family. He has kids. Shit like that. And that changes people. And that's not a value judgment. It's not a value call on my part, but that does change people. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, so let's move away from the politics thing. I just thought okay. that was an interesting thing that I had to like kind of note, considering the artists he's worked with, considering this movie he made. Like, I, I had because when I listened <laughs> to that today, I was like, ah, that kind of sours me a little bit. All <laughs> like, I feel like I have to bring it up. But it is still one of your favorite movies. It's 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 maybe in my top ten favorite movies of yeah. all time. Like like it is one of my absolute favorite movies. Um, so do you want to hear what the what the uh, New York Times had to say about it when it came out? I I I saw that it was not positive, but I did not read the review. So because you knew I was going to be bringing it to you, didn't you? <laughs> yeah yeah. All right. So um so uh from the New York Times. On April 12, 2012, they reviewed it. Joseph Kahn. Wait, no, no, Joseph Kahn's the director. Wait, what's yeah. who, who wrote this review? Who wrote this review? Is 
did the reviewer not have the courage to attach their name to this? Oh my god. Holy shit, it's an uncredited review. The first time we've come up we've come across this on this show. Wow. There is no there Wait. is no credited reviewer. I am like no. shocked. I feel I've, like I saw I've never seen this on the show here. Okay, sorry. For anyone listening, we we Lucas and I have been having a big thing of paying attention okay. to New York Times reviewers. I'm on the New York Times website, so, and there's okay. no reviewer credited. Okay, according to Wikipedia, it's somebody named um, Nicholas Rapolds. I hope I didn't just dox somebody. Well, their <laughs> name is not on the New York Times page. Yeah, you're right. That's interesting. Okay. Oh, wait. Well, it's on the one I'm looking at. Not the one I am. No. Well. Uh, whatever. Let's go to the review. We, yeah, we yeah. got the reviewer name. Um, what was the name? What was the name, Lucas? Nicholas Rapold. Uh, Rapold? R-A-P-O-L-D. Okay. So here's the review. Another entry in self-conscious one-upmanship, Detention, is a horror comedy positively addled with retro ret- references. Oof, that was a difficult sentence. The students at Grizzly Lake High visualized as an especially strident pastiche of colorful fashion choices and pecking order behavior trade fire with insults that demonstrate savvy or ignorance about pop culture cliches. In this universe, people seem composed of 1% water and 99% 90s references and genre expectations. As a feedback-faced killer stalks the days and nights Riley is a tomboyish outcast with a crush on a hipster identifying kid named Clapton. Um, I'm just skipping all the actor notes. Clapton, who happily flirts among groups, is currently attached to her friend um, Ione. Ione, I believe. Ione, Ione, thank you. Ione, and a nerd latches onto Riley who has a trouble con- who has trouble convincing people of the danger prom night and viewer fatigue await even that description implies a fuller sense of reality than can be found in the self-finance films fractured matrix of calling card camera setups disposable references and with almost com- comical lack of pretense time travel the surprise, perhaps, is that Mr. Khan can pull off a comedy when he wants to. From standard slapstick and teenage drama queening to the absurd debate between Riley and a really persuasive bullhorn voice Canadian in a hockey jersey, Mr. Khan's music video chops also serve a clever trick shot showing students in detention over the years with matching music and fashion hooks. But horror fans will probably grow impatient with the unevenly executed scream style self-awareness. And Mr. Khan ultimately loses control of his referential plate spinning in what may might be in what might be another illustration that catering to short attention spans leads only to mutually assured destruction. Whoa. Well, then. That's the review that when we started following New York Times reviews on this show, that's the review we expected them to all sound like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Um, but no, that yeah. Uh, that, as, and that, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know. I was gonna say, but as longtime listeners know, like a lot of them have been weirdly positive, like especially for the trauma stuff. Um, and but, this movie got fucking slaughtered by critics. Like, yeah. Like critics fucking hated this. That New York Times review, New York Times review, is brutal. But that also just like summarizes what, uh, like like really what all critical review, most most critical reviews, not all. There were some people who were like us that were like, "Holy shit, this movie is genius. Yeah. This is insane. This is awesome. This is so fucking cool. Like you've never seen anything like this before. Guarantee it." Um. Uh, the uh, in the commentary. Oh, I, I need to describe what the commentary is. We still haven't even gotten to that yet. Excellent, excellent. So in the commentary, Joseph Kahn says that he knew. Um, so when they did the first screenings of the movie, they did screenings just to kind of see what people were going to react to it, but they didn't do um screenings to change anything. Um, it, it was just kind of like the movie was the project, and when they did the line. In the opening scene, I'm Taylor Fisher and I'm a bitch. Beauty, intelligence, talent, charisma, hoobastank. When that line happens, um, the, uh, Joseph Kahn said how the audience reacted to that line. He knew immediately if this was going to be a good screening or if this was going to be another awful screening. Yeah, I could totally see that. Like, it's like it that you get the tone of the movie pretty much right away. Like. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, it's great. I need to address the commentary on the Blu ray because I made some. Yeah. So, just like this movie is just like some of the most ingenious presentations I've seen of a narrative film before. I, I just love how the movie's presented. Uh, the commentary is completely different than any other commentary I've ever seen. It's actually listed on the, on the Blu ray as being. Um, Cheat mode, the unbelievable mind melting making of detention. And what that means is when you select cheat mode to watch the movie, it plays the movie. And rather than a commentary track, you get the various actors and people involved in the making popping in and out in corners of the movie in these own little boxes where you're actually watching them. You're not just listening to them. You're oh, watching shit. them and they get almost like even like bit actors that are just in the background and scenes will pop in and they'll be in a little box talking about it. In addition to it, the people will talk about different takes they did and different things that didn't work or like how they had to rewrite scenes and the movie will rewind and show you like the scene you just watched with commentary with now this new commentary with two scenes playing so you can see the original way it was filmed and then and the final way it was filmed the cheat mode is longer than the actual movie itself because it also shows you deleted scenes alternate takes all it's it's a complete presentation it's complete re-editing it's not it's not a commentary it is a really ingenious um special feature presentation that I've never seen presented like that before. 
That's so, so cool. So, like, you'll have, like, the director, so the movie will be playing, and the director will be talking about a scene and about how the scene didn't work. And then, and you're literally watching the director talking about it in the corner of your screen. And then in the other corner, the actress will pop up and talk, start talking about how the scene didn't work and about how it was originally filmed. And then how they came with this new one. And as they're talking, the movie will then restart the scene. And then you're getting a side-by-side of the original scene plus the final scene while they are still talking. And then when that's over, then the movie picks back into where you narratively were. It's wow. really, really ingenious. That's super cool. And, like, like it's, it's one of the cooler, like, making of a movie special features I have ever seen. And, of course, it's on one of the coolest movies I have, like, ever seen. Like, I felt I learned a lot about movies from that. Like, and one thing we do have to point out, we did, we, man, we haven't even talked about what may be one of the greatest moments of the entire movie that features he who should not be named. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering who I'm referencing with that. You can go back to our, sorry, on episode one of our show and you'll eventually figure out who it is. Um, and they do, they're in detention and they are doing the, Behind, the, like, they're watching all the various bootlegs of a bootleg of a bootleg within a bootleg. Within yeah. a bootleg within a bootleg. And <laughs> so while that's going on, while you're watching with this commentary, you're also getting, like, pop-ins of all these other voices talking about the scene. It's hilarious. It, it was probably the most meta-viewing experience I've ever had. I, yeah, it sounds like it. Jesus. So, um... Oh, what else you got for this movie, Lucas? I feel like um, I'm kind of exhausting a lot of my points I had to bring up. No, I think we got it, man. I mean, I think like it's just one of those movies that you really kind of have to see to fully appreciate. I mean, I don't. <sighs> I hope I did a good job at explaining my love for this movie and just really what I think it artistically has to offer. I do think this is an amazing, super weird artistic statement that like wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the guy that like made Eminem and Janet Jackson's music videos was also like an insanely cool artist. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, and it's, I don't know, like, cause it's like, what's what I think is so cool about this movie is that it feels, it feels like an experiment, but it also like feels like, I don't know. Like it feels like a movie. Like it's not like just I, I like I, I've 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 joked a lot throughout this episode about how all over the place this movie is, but it is it does still I don't know. It still comes together, I think. And I think it is still like a cohesive story. And I don't know. But for that it's it's definitely um like I, I, I think I think this is the ultimate Bizarro movie. Like, for anyone that, like, started listening to our show here because of my connections to the Bizarro scene, like, if you haven't seen this movie, this is the number one recommendation I have for you. Yeah. Also, like, if you're, like, anyone that's, like, a fan of, like, Adult Swim, like, this is, like, the ultimate Adult Swim movie that nobody, nobody in Adult Swim was ever involved with and vice versa. Like, this, I, I think, deten- it's, it's almost a shame that Adult Swim has not shown detention. Uh, yeah like like when they're april fool's pranks this would make a great adult swim adult swim april fool's day prank and if you don't I know what i'm talking don't. about for anyone listening just look it up adult swim april april fool's day pranks and 
Tenshin fit right in. Before. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, so the um, I'll, then I guess I'll explain it here. So Adult Swim, every April 1st, does um, their... You know how TV shows... You know how TV channels list their programming in advance? Yeah. And so, like, TV Guides or TiVo and all that type right, of right, shit. Right, right, right. And that um, Adult Swim lies every April 1st. So if you turn on Adult Swim April 1st, when it, when it hits at midnight on April 1st, you don't know what you're going to see on Adult Swim. And they've done things of they just aired their normal schedule with like interns revoicing all the characters. They've done things where they ignored their schedule and they just premiered um, like three hours of brand new TV shows that no one has seen before. And they yeah. did things of, um, instead of showing the normal schedule, they showed Tommy Wiseau's The Room instead. Nice. Um, they yeah. also like, uh, like they, they have a, a fascinating history. They, keep in mind, like they've been around for over 20 years now. I, yeah, over 20 years at this point. So they have 20 years history of doing random shit on April Fool's Day without telling people. And they've shown lots of movies as part of their April Fool's thing. Cool, cool. And I feel like the tension would make anyone from Adult Swim possibly listen to this. I know you all have been, got gutted by fucking AT&T. And I now, I now know Universal, I'm sorry, not Universal. Discovery is fucking just like driving driving the stake in the heart of those those that are left but if anyone in adults room that survives i encourage you to show the tension as a movie some night it's 100 percent the right audience for this movie oh it's 100 yeah this is the adults room audience yeah. and if you don't know anything about that uh, all those references i'm making about at&t and discovery maybe i'll be having an upcoming adult swim show adult swim podcast oh is it it's happening I don't know yet. I was actually just thinking today I need to harass the other person involved. I got, for anyone listening, I'm trying to start another podcast about Adult Swim. And I've got one person specifically in mind that's the only person that can do it with me. And I am trying to get them to say yes. Well, Godspeed. Um, All right. So, uh, I I don't know. We're giving this a recommend. I mean, obviously. Yeah, it could not be more of a recommend. Yeah enthusiastic recommend um this is my all although apparently don't don't favorite movies. don't listen to or read any interviews with the director just uh just watch the movie yeah yeah i recommend that <laughs> um i really you know I, the older i get the more i am on separating the art from the artist if the artist hasn't actively hurt anybody right right yeah like we we went through an uncomfortable thing with like okay like um we went through an uncomfortable thing with Marilyn Manson when we find out, found out like what his shit yeah. actually is. And uh, myself personally, I had the whole issue of uh, Dickie Barrett, the lead singer of the Money Money Boss Tones, like one of my all-time favorite bands. I haven't been able to listen to them since he came out as an anti-vaxxer, Pizzagate, QAnon nut. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, that, wow. That, it broke up the band. The Boss Tones literally broke up because of him. Holy shit. I didn't yeah, know that. It was bad. It was bad. Um, and so when I just have Joseph Kahn being like, I want my taxes to be lower, I'm like, okay, you're fine. I disagree with you. I think you're naive. I get where you're coming from now. You're fine. I can still enjoy your art. But like when you're actively hurting people like Marilyn Manson or encouraging the ongoing societal harm, like 
Tiki Barrett from the Ball Sense is doing, then I can't engage in the art anymore. But if you're just talking about taxes, then it's to me, I think you're naive. I think you're misguided, but all right. I, I still think you're a great artist. Yeah. And I, and I can enjoy it. I can enjoy it. Because Manson and Tiki Barrett are so great artists. I just can't enjoy their art anymore. No, I get that. My uh, one of my favorite wrestlers when I was growing up was Chris Benoit, and he oh, which last podcast on the band. left does an amazing episode on on everything that was done wrong to him by the uh, those wrestling corporations yeah. that may have indirectly have led to that horrible, horrible crime that happened. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, I know he had, like, the brain, like, I don't know, yeah. like, he, yeah, his, just all sorts of shit. Anyway, that's a whole other show. Um, uh, which, Last Podcast on the Left, that's the show, they do an episode on Chris Benoit, and that was actually the episode that Last Podcast on the Left started going political, was oh, wow. the one on Chris Benoit, talking about how corporations um, essentially allow people to be abused and sustain head injuries, which results in real world crimes for yeah. corporate, pro- corporate profits. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. WWE has some skills. <laughs> um, I will just leave it at that. Um, but yeah. yeah so um, we recommend this movie. We recommend this movie. We recommend attention. Um, and uh, yeah. So um, what the fuck are I we guess- doing next week? We yes. forgot to talk about it. I, I, well, we kind of talked about it over text. Oh, oh, is that what we're doing next week? So next yeah. week we're doing trauma, and we're we going to be doing, doing. So do you want to explain what we're doing next week, Lucas? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so uh, I'm I'm staying in, in Pennsylvania right now, and uh, there is a there is actually a trauma event happening uh, this coming weekend. Um. I think it's called Traumathon. Yep, uh, Traumathon 22. Yeah, so I do want to get it out of the way. I am not going for all three days. Um, like, I, you know, I just don't have time. Um, but I am going to go on Sunday because it is the, uh, they're showing their Trauma Dance film selections. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to go and uh, basically just kind of play reporter and, um you know, kind of, uh, I'll be giving Jeff a full report of what, so, what movies. So uh, take notes. You're going to have to come back for a report from all of us. Next week's going to be a little bit of a more freewheeling, lighter yes. episode for us. And yeah. I still, I think that sounds like a great, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, you have any, uh, any plugs? Oh shit. Yes. I got totally a plug. Um, uh, the very best horror zine out there, period, Splatterpunk zine by Jack Bantry, has a new issue up for pre-order featuring a brand new story from Brian Keane in it, which I am super intrigued about the Brian Keens in the Splatterpunk scene. Yes. And, like, if you're into the extreme horror scene at all, if you're into the Splatter scene at all, fucking, there's a new issue of the Splatterpunk scene. Order your copy now. I already have my copy ordered. Order it now because they do not stay available forever and they do go away and they do become fucking stupid expensive because I sell my old copies to make lots of money off of them. <laughs> and so uh, get that get that now while you can. Best best zine in horror fiction, period. Splatterpunk scene. Jack Bantry out of the UK. Um man, I love I love Jack Bantry. Awesome. Awesome. 
Um, so as far as me for plugs, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just put out that digital darkness book, um, you know, which I mentioned last week. Um, and then also, um, yeah, I was, I was just on a podcast called, um, the family fright night, uh, podcast. And I talked about, uh, phantasm, which is one of my favorite movies and, uh, talked about, you know, some of my own work, uh, as well. Um, that's on Spotify and the usual places I, I imagine um that just dropped today no shit i had no idea you were on that. yeah 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 the family fright night podcast who, who who does that uh somebody named chase will uh he just like hit me up and was oh like, you reached out to, oh that's cool yeah 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 i was like all right yeah sweet <laughs> yeah yeah no it was a good time um so yeah you can check that out and it's short too so if you're like if you like don't have a lot of time for you know, for podcasts, his episodes are like these like 20 to 30 minute interviews. Oh, so in other words, nobody that is still listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm assuming you don't have time for other podcasts because you are so devoted to make your own damn podcast. 